do you know what time it is? It's Supernatural Story Time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. Stories to listen to while you drive. Volume 2, story number 1. The stories that I'm going to tell you didn't happen to me, but it happened to my mother, my aunt, and my mother's cousins. My mother was raised on Droop Mountain, West Virginia, right beside where the Droop Mountain Battlefield State Park is. At that time, there was no road around that park. My mom and her sister came home from a log church down on the lower end of Droop Mountain one night. When the guy turned out the lights, there was a man standing in the field, glowing in the dark with no head turn on the lights and he would be gone. Another incident, right in the same area, my mom's cousin and mother and father were walking down on the northeast side of Droop Mountain. There used to be a store there. About dusk one evening, they looked up right in the corner of that park in the same area and there was a man sitting on a horse that they could see through and it turned around and it was gone. All of them saw it and their dad was a preacher and he says, we're going back home. Story number two. This took place in Barbersville, West Virginia. This is my dad's story. It happened about 20 years ago. My dad and a few of his friends had gone to a graveyard near one of their houses. They had set up their Ouija board down in the middle of it and started asking questions. After getting no responses, the wooden part that went over the words, letters, and the yes and no, it flew into the air. Nothing more happened after that, so they decided to leave. As they were leaving, my dad started seeing dogs out of the corners of his eye. But when he turned around, only to see there were no dogs. His best friend Scott, who was also there, swore he was seeing the same thing. They believed they were hellhounds. Then others thought they saw black figures walking around. Eventually, after almost everyone was gone, it was just my dad and Dirk, one of his friends. Dirk had made my dad walk him home because he was scared. The entire time they saw the black shadows and hellhounds. The next day James had got his aunt who lived with him to talk with them all. She said they had opened a door allowing spirits to come to the world and they had to get rid of them. I'm not exactly sure how they did it. But nothing else happened there after that. Next story. In the 1960s when I was about 8 years old my family lived in a small hollow down off Fort Hill in Charleston. Our house had been built in the 1920s, and my deceased aunt and her family had lived there before I was born. One night, I was asleep on the couch with my cat. It was very, very late, and I was in a deep sleep when my cat awoke me by hissing, growling, spitting, and just generally throwing a fit. I was surprised because he never behaved like that. I was turned facing the back of the couch and the cat was snuggled between me and the couch. Thinking I must have crowded him, I petted him and mumbled something, but the cat wasn't looking at me while he freaked out. He was looking past me, into the dark center of the room. He was standing by now, hackles raised, back arched, growling and hissing like crazy. I slowly turned and looked over my shoulder to where the cat was staring. There was a white mist, kind of column shape, no real form to it hovering in the middle of the room. Almost immediately it began to slowly fade, and at the same moment the cat stopped howling, 
settled in again and fell asleep like nothing had happened. The mist faded completely and was gone. I didn't sleep any more that night, and I never fell asleep on the couch again. Years later, as an adult, I learned that not only had my aunt lived in the house before us, she had also died there in 1959, before I turned three. She was very fond of me, as I was her youngest brother's first child. I like to think she was checking up on me, without expecting the cat to see her first. Next story. If you've hiked Great Flats near Beckley, West Virginia, you know how eerie those woods can be. But there's no more eerie a place in all the flats than the old farm beyond the south end of the flats. There the old farm trail meets the south Great Flats trail and a patch of thorns and brambles. That patch of bramble and the decrepit old oaks and maples that shade it are all that's left of an old farm, the ruins of which have been there as long as anyone can remember, though there's little to be found but old foundation stones. Hikers and bikers on the trail have long told tales of a haunting there, but I didn't put much stock in the tales until a few years ago and my friends and I actually saw something that none of us can explain. It was nearly dusk in late October, and it was cold and drizzly, and though that made seeing difficult, what we saw was plainly visible. At the point on the Great Flats Trail where trees move in close, we saw a black figure in what might have been a long coat and a broad-rimmed hat. Though man-shaped, it had no obvious death as no light fell upon it. It was completely black, and rather than moving like a person, it moved without walking, and it moved to the side, away from us, through the trees, away from the road, toward what might have been the farmhouse. And though the rocky ground rose, the figure did not. It appeared to move into the earth. As soon as it disappeared into the ground, my friend Becky began to get sick. She held her hands over her stomach and bent down and began to let out kind of a long sob. We asked her if she was all right, and she shook her head, yes, that she just wanted to go home. So we grabbed her by the arms and went back out towards Shiprock. Just as we were getting ready to turn into the old farm trail, we looked back and saw the shape again. It appeared to be emerging from the ground and heading down to where the old strip mines were. I have no explanation for what we saw. I've heard that someone was murdered near the farm, but I can't find anything to confirm that. This is the only time I've ever had anything like a supernatural experience. I've been past the site many times since, and I've never seen anything, though I don't linger long waiting to find out. Next story. This was back in 2014 when I moved into a trailer with my boyfriend, his brother, and one of my friends at the time. At first, everything seemed pretty normal, but my boyfriend and his brother told me about how they believed there was something following my boyfriend around. They said it started in a house down Page, around five years before we got together. Down in Page, my boyfriend and his brother shared a room. For a few days, my boyfriend was hearing stuff on and off, sounding like something was scratching on the hallway by their room. One night, he decided to put a camcorder up on a counter so that you could see the hallway, and he went to bed. Now remember, there was no doors behind the camcorders. You could see if someone moved it. It ended up moved with nothing showing why it had moved. And you could also hear footsteps and the scratching again. That night, a big black figure showed up in their doorway and woke them up. Slowly walking towards their beds 
while scratching the walls. Needless to say, they left the house until daylight. Now, to what happened in the trailer? We had lived in the trailer for maybe two weeks. I was pretty comfortable, but one night, I had the feeling of something watching me. It freaked me out so bad that I wouldn't leave my boyfriend's side. It was so bad that when he had to go to the bathroom, I stayed right by the door. This is not normal for me at all. I usually am the one of the first persons to investigate something. While still in the bathroom, he finally asked me what was wrong. I told him I had the intense feeling of someone watching me. He told me that we should just go to bed, but he had a freaked out look on his face. We laid down, but he kept looking from our bedroom door to our closet. Our bed was right up against the closet doorway, and it didn't have a door. I didn't think anything about it and got comfortable. I sleep with my feet outside of the bottom of my blanket. We didn't have power yet, so we had candles lit to see our way, and it was around nine, so it was dark outside. As I was lying there, I felt something grab my foot. I jerked my foot up faster, putting it under my blanket. My boyfriend looked at me and told me to slowly grab the candle and go to his brother's room down the hall. I climbed over my boyfriend, and as I'm lifting the candle up, it went out without a reason. My boyfriend screamed for me to run, and I did. I ran so hard, I hit two walls on the way with a candle still in my hand, splashing wax all over them. As I ran down the hallway, I heard footsteps, thinking it was my boyfriend, and I ran into his brother's room. His brother ran out, and I turned around and realized my boyfriend was still in our bedroom. Finally, they both came walking fast down the hallway, and as they got to the door, it jerked back. They kept a hold of it and finally got it shut. We slept in my boyfriend's brother and girlfriend's room that night on the floor. You could hear whatever it was banging on the door and walls and throwing stuff all night. After that, around 10 p.m. until 2.30 a.m. every night, if you walked by the living room, you could see something walking around inside the kitchen and hear it stomping all through our trailer. Another night, my boyfriend, his brother, and I, his brother's girlfriend was at a friend's house, were hanging out in the living room. My boyfriend's brother fell asleep on the sectional couch, so I covered him up with my gray fuzzy blanket. When we went to bed, I laid down in bed, and he went to the bathroom. Now, five minutes after we left the living room, with my boyfriend still in the bathroom, we heard a big bang, like slamming noise, and his brother screaming his name, and I see him run down the hallway. As my boyfriend ran out of the bathroom, I ran out of my room down the hallway to where they were at. Finally, his brother told us what happened and showed us his chest. He had what looked like five claw marks running from his shoulder and across his chest, curving down his side a little above his hip. Turned out he got woken up from the slamming noise with a blanket thrown off of him and his chest burning. When he got up to run down the hallway, he said it felt like someone tried to push him down. We stayed in his room that night. For some reason, nothing ever happened to us in his room. It seemed like whatever was tormenting us couldn't get in and finally got tired of trying. The morning after the scratching, our coffee table was turned over and a lot of our stuff was thrown everywhere. The last big thing to happen before we finally moved out was one night my boyfriend and I were sitting in the living room. It was around 1.30 in the morning. I was reading off of my phone and he was playing a game on the TV. I had something thrown at me. I felt the wind off of whatever it was and saw something fly across my line of vision. I took off running and had a panic attack in my boyfriend brother's room. Finally, after I got calmed down, we decided it was time to leave.
My question was, and is still, what is this thing? And why was it following my boyfriend? Next story. This event happened when I was about 10 years old in 1950. We lived in an old log house set halfway up a hill in the middle of a pasture field. There were no houses within a half mile of us. A barbed wire fence completely surrounded the house to keep cattle out of the yard. At that time, we didn't have electricity. My dad worked as a helper on a truck and at times he was gone for a day or two. One night, mom and I were alone when the dog began barking. He went out into the pasture and then suddenly I could hear yelping and he came running back under the house. Suddenly there was a tremendous bang and the house shook and the windows rattled. Both mom and I were scared to death. The dog went into the field barking once again, raced back under the house. Again, the loud bang as the house shook. This happened a few times over the next month or so. One night, dad was home and he opened the rear door and yelled to get out. It only happened one time after that. We never knew what it was. My second strange event was many years later. I grew up out there in the country and finally relocated and became a police officer. My wife and I bought an old farm with an old house on it that was not worth staying in. One night we were down there for the weekend and camped out far up in the hollow from the house. Where it was located was sort of remote. We pitched a tent and built a fire after it became dark. Suddenly I heard the strangest noise I've ever heard coming from the woods above where we were camping. The sounds were a strange mixture of growls and something else I can't describe. I grew up around animals and I've heard a lot of dog fights. This was not a dog fight and it was extremely loud. I grew concerned and fired my gun into the ground and it suddenly stopped. I slept a little uneasy that night. Never heard it again though. Next story. After fighting in World War II, my father returned to his family's farm located just outside the town of Richwood in Nicholas County, near the Mongahela National Park. What he encountered one night on the isolated farm terrified him more than anything he had witnessed when liberating prison camps in Nazi Germany. He told me that he went to bed shortly after my grandparents had retired for the night. His bedroom was on the first floor in the rear of the house, which was built on a slope so that his window was about six feet off the ground. His bed was right under the window so he could lay there and look up at the sky as the full moon rose overhead. Exhausted from a hard day's work on the farm, he started to drift off to sleep, vaguely aware that the animals were beginning to stir uneasily in the barn. Fighting sleep, yet fully aware of the noises outside, he suddenly became alert to what sounded like heavy dragging footsteps approaching the back of the house. He told me that the heavy footsteps got closer and closer until they stopped right behind the house where his room was. It took every ounce of courage to open his eyes and tilt his head back, knowing that whatever this was, it was looking down at him. Still laying there feeling paralyzed and in a cold sweat, he slowly tilted his head back and there it was. Whatever it was looking down through the window right at him, shadowed by the full moon shining from behind. Even so, he could make out the outline of its large head and shoulders, covered in thick brown hair, as well as the faint glow of its eyes. It just stood there staring down at him for what seemed an eternity. Without any further hesitation, he summoned the nerve to jump out of bed and slide across the floor to the door, refusing to look back. He told me he rushed into the kitchen and grabbed a poker that was next to the coal stove, in anticipation of this creature forcing its way inside. 
In the next room, my grandmother Rose had been preparing for bed, practicing her usual evening ritual of braiding her long hair, like many Appalachian women of that time. She heard the commotion and called out to my father, asking him what all the noise was about. He replied that something was outside and he was going to have to deal with it. As she walked to her bedroom window, her reply was, Oh, there's nothing out there. It's just your... And she let out the loudest scream my dad had ever heard. Whatever this thing was, it looked right in her window as she looked out, face to face. Knowing my grandmother's voice, I'm sure that her scream sent this creature on its way. She even woke up my grandfather was known to sleep through anything. After the family settled down, my father remained awake until dawn, sitting next to the coal stove with a loaded shotgun in his hand. In the daylight, they discovered huge footprints in the soft mud outside of the house, leading from one window to the other, abruptly turning and appearing further apart as if running and even stopping at the fence that was approximately four feet in height. It appeared that the creature had bounded over the fence in a single stride. Its footprints continued several feet beyond. News traveled fast and later that day, neighbors came to view the footprints before the next rain washed them away. My grandmother corroborated my father's testimony of the events of that night back in 1945, and Dad never forgot the night when an unwelcome visitor came to call. Next story. So this story didn't happen to me personally. It happened to my dad's brother and sister-in-law and their two kids. However, I've heard it told so many times I feel like I was there. Anyway, it was around 1983-1984. My family lived in this little blue house in Gyndot, West Virginia. To properly tell the story, though, there's three parts. I have to tell that lead up to probably the creepiest ghost story I've ever heard. First, I need to explain the layout of the house. This house was a two-story building. When you walked in the front door, there was a foyer that you entered into before entering the living room as you continued to walk into the house. From the living room, there was a dining room, the kitchen, and a master bedroom. From the dining room and the set of stairs that led to the second story. From the moment they moved in, no one would go upstairs unless they absolutely had to. It just had a bad vibe. They always felt like they were being watched. So as you go up the stairs, they lead out to the middle of a hallway. At one end was bedrooms, and at the other end of the hallway was a little door that led out to the roof. My dad stapled plastic around all the windows upstairs and nailed the little door shut. The bathroom was also located upstairs, and it was the only full bathroom in the whole house. So my family settled into their new home, and nothing seemed out of the normal until they noticed a few unexplained things that began to happen. One day, my uncle's daughter, Cindy, side note, we call her Sissy, was playing with a pretty impressive Barbie doll collection in the foyer. Her mother walked in and said, If you pick up all your dolls and clean up in here, you can go to the store with me. Of course, young little sissy wasn't going to miss that opportunity. So she dressed all her dolls, organized them in all her totes, and put them away. She left with her mom, and that was the end of that, or so they thought. Upon the return home, sissy hears her mother yelling at her for not putting away her dolls like she was told to. When sissy finally made it inside to the foyer, confused, what she saw was inexplainable. Every single doll had been strung out on the floor, and all of the doll's clothing was removed except for one single doll. It was a doll from the 1950s that had molded hair. It was standing up straight, leaning against the wall in a blue formal evening gown. Okay, now I'm going to interject with my opinion. 
even though my family just fluttered past this encounter and brushed it off. I can promise you that if dolls are moving around by themselves, I'm out. Like, bye. However, they did let it go and continued on about their lives. A couple of months had passed since the doll encounter, and little things would happen that weren't really explainable but weren't a big deal, so no one really paid them any mind. I will say that from their telling of the story, the two kids were more afraid than the parents were, which according to every horror movie I've ever seen, sounds about right. Sissy and her brother Frankie never stayed in their room upstairs. They both always slept downstairs in the living room. One night, however, their cousin decided to stay the night, so my Aunt Janie told them that they'd need to bring a mattress from upstairs down to the living room so that everyone had somewhere to sleep that night. So all three kids went upstairs to carry a mattress down. Their cousin was in the front, Sissy was holding one handle on the side with both hands, and Frankie was on the other side holding the mattress with both hands. They got about halfway down the stairs when their cousin just took off head first down the stairs. Her head literally went through the wall. They pulled her out. She was bawling her eyes out. Didn't have a scratch on her, but was screaming, Sissy pushed me down the stairs. Frankie and Sissy both just stared at each other in disbelief. Finally, Frankie spoke up and said, Sissy was holding the mattress with both hands. No one pushed you. What their cousin had to say next was a turning point for them and starting to realize that maybe there were strange forces here at play. Their cousin looked at them with puffy red eyes, but a seriousness in her eyes. I felt her hands push my back. Since that strange encounter, things kind of quieted down again, but they were still considerably on edge. However, things did go back to the usual norm. Little things here and there, but nothing so serious that it made them question their safety. However, that was all about to change. My uncle traveled every once in a while to Kentucky for work. One particular night, he had to stay overnight and wouldn't be home until the morning, leaving Janie, Sissy, and Frankie alone for the evening. Janie got the kids ready for bed that night and was putting off the need to go take a bath because for some reason that night, she just didn't feel right going upstairs by herself. So she finally mustered up the courage to take a bath. I haven't had the chance to mention the bathroom. The bathroom was like any normal bathroom, I suppose. But in the shower, there was about a baseball-sized hole in the wall. The hole had always been there. As she was taking her bath, she couldn't help but feel that something was inside that hole, staring her down. She felt so uneasy, she could barely stand it. She ran downstairs, got dressed, called my Uncle Frank, and demanded that he come home now. She said, I can't stay here alone. I'm too afraid. So Frank left work and came home for the evening. So time had passed, and they couldn't bring themselves to fall asleep. They both just laid in bed listening. They kept thinking they heard someone upstairs, so finally Frank got up and said, I'm going to take the dog and my gun and check upstairs. Janie continued to lay in bed as she listened to Frank walk upstairs, check every room, close the door, then walk back downstairs. It wasn't until 15 or 20 minutes had passed that she was concerned as to why Frank hadn't come back to bed. So she got up and walked out in the dining room, where she found Frank pointing the gun at the top of the stairs and who hadn't even moved a muscle. She looked at the panic in his face and just asked, what are we going to do? Before he even had a chance to answer, the lights began to flicker. He walked into the living room where both kids were sleeping, Sissy on one couch and Frankie on another couch. Pacing back and forth, Frank kept saying, should I go upstairs? What should we do? Now, 
I'd also like to interject here again before I continue. I want to give you a little bit of detail about my cousin Sissy. Everyone may have called her a sissy, but she was anything but a sissy. When it came to a fight or an altercation, she was the first to get involved. She didn't fear anything, and she for her age was pretty blunt. Even to this day, she's still like that. She's that person you have in your life that just tells you how it is. So, continuing to pace and figure things out, formulate a plan, and freaking out at the same time, my cousin, who had been in a dead sleep this whole time, got up from the couch, straight as a board with her arms out in front of her, turned her head to her dad and said, I wouldn't go up them stairs if I was you, daddy, then lay straight back down and went back to sleep. Not as soon as her head hit the pillow, though, all hell began to break loose in the little blue house. The lights flickered. It was now accompanied by what sounded like a bull running through the hallway upstairs and doors slamming shut. My uncle grabbed the kids, his wife, and ran outside to the backyard to drive everyone to my dad's house. When he got to the backyard, he noticed the curtain swaying back and forth, and the little door that led to the roof was opening and closing by itself, which probably only made him run faster. Now mind you, when I heard this story the first time, I thought these people must think I really am dumb enough to believe this bull. Until my very religious dad told me that the next day he went with my uncle to collect their belongings, and he carried a Bible, but couldn't stay any more than five minutes in the house. He said as soon as you stepped on the property, you could feel a dark presence. The house is still located in Guayandot. It still stands to this day. It's been remodeled since then and actually is a very beautiful house. For a long time, the house always stayed up for rent, and many of the neighbors rarely spoke about it. Someone lives there now. If it wasn't for that fact, I'd sound like an all-out creeper. I'd ask them if they ever experienced anything weird. And that's my ghost story. Next story. A friend of my brother's bought a house in the Albright area about 2015. My friend also moved into his brother's house as a caretaker. I visited him there in June and for a week. And the first night I stayed in the house, I felt a little on edge as it felt like I was being watched by something. The second night I woke up out of a sound sleep about 3.15 a.m., and felt as if I had a weight on my chest. It was almost like a feeling of something heavy in the air in the house. As I lay in bed trying to fall back asleep, I could hear something that sounded like a man moaning outside my window. It would start out as a light moan, but then it would turn into heavy breathing sound. This happened all week until I left. I thought nothing of it, maybe just my wild imagination. Then, in the following September, I returned back for a second visit but this time my brother came with me. Almost immediately, I felt the same feeling of being watched, and every morning at 3.15 a.m., I would wake up. Shortly after being woken out of a sound sleep, I could hear that same moaning again. This time, though, my brother heard the same thing as I did every night. I told my friend who lived in the house about what we were experiencing. He said, It's probably a buck grunting near the window outside the house. I told him I know what a buck grunt sounded like and this was no deer grunt. My brother was so scared that he grabbed a thirty thirty that hung on the wall and locked all the doors. As the moaning turned into a heavy breathing sound coming from outside, the windows began to shake in the living room. The sound of footsteps could be heard walking around the side of the house from outside. It scared the crap out of us, and we sat there in the living room until morning broke, 
and we've never gone back to visit at that house. Next story. While growing up in Richwood, West Virginia, I had always heard local tales of the paranormal. There were a couple of friends of mine who had been visited by a Sasquatch-type creature in the Cranberry backcountry. There was a tale of the nearby Braxton County Green Monster. Ghost stories too many to count were told in every hollow in the hills. Of course, no West Virginia native has gone without hearing a tale or two of the Mothman. However, I never would have expected that I would have my own run-in with any such phenomena. The first part of my story, which at the time I didn't even realize was part of any story at all, goes all the way back to high school. It was the fall of 1991. My high school sweetheart and I were parked at the top of Fork Mountain just outside of Richwood to uh, watch the meteorite showers. Yep, that's what we were doing. We had found a very secluded location on top of the hill, surely not to be disturbed by anyone. We killed the ignition to my father's truck and started watching the night sky. Within minutes, a very eerie feeling came over both of us. I clicked on the headlights, feeling as if something or someone was watching us. There was no one there. I killed the lights and we went back to where we had left off. Only a moment later, that same feeling returned and I clicked on the lights again. This time as well, there was no one there. Let's get out of here, my girlfriend said. Good idea, I concurred. We headed off the mountain, never to return to that particular spot. Two years later, while deer hunting in the same location with my father, he wanted to show me something he had found in the woods several months before. I followed him off the trail, only a few yards into the woods, and couldn't believe what I saw. There were at least eight unmarked graves. The earth was sunken in where each grave was located. They were about six feet long and two feet wide. There were triangular shapes, stones, at both the head and the feet of the graves. They were facing east to west, proper burial fashion. My father, as well as the old man who owned the land, well into his 80s now, if not 90s, had no information on the graves. Who was buried there? How long they had been there? Did anyone know? After years of research to include talking to many of the local old-timers in their 90s themselves, nothing has turned up. All these years later, nearly 20 to be exact, the mystery still haunts me. One night, on a recent trip to visit my hometown, I decided I would spend the night camping by the graves. I've always been curious about the paranormal, though other than that night of parking with my high school sweetheart, I never had an experience with it. On this night, I got to the top of the mountain about two hours before dark. An airborne infantryman in the Army National Guard I had packed my rucksack with all that I would need and hiked up the hill, about three miles above my parents' house, and the hill is straight up. After reaching the location, I took my time setting up a proper army bivouac site. I had taken only a mosquito net instead of a tent. The more you carry, the more it weighs. I had with me as well my army sleeping bag and enough food and water to last for the night and the next day. I carefully cut poles from which to hang my net using my Leatherman Wave multi-tool. I made sure that everything was perfect, right down to my small campfire ring constructed of large sandstones. It was such a perfect sight, having taken more than an hour to construct, that I pulled out my digital camera and began taking pictures. While reviewing the pictures of the campsite, I noticed that a couple of them appeared to have orbs in them. Convinced it was nothing more than smoke or ash rising from my small campfire, 
I thought nothing of it. I then made my way to the graves, 30 yards above me, and began taking pictures as well. One of these pictures also came out with a perfectly formed orb just above one of the graves. There was no smoke from the fire here. As the rest of the picture revealed, there was no rain or other forms of moisture in the air. This made me curious and a bit nervous. After heating up and eating a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli, just as it was turning dark, I made my way into my mosquito net. I stripped down, got into my sleeping bag, and began listening to the sounds of the night. The tree frogs were so loud I wondered if I would ever be able to get to sleep. Five minutes later, the tree frogs stopped chirping. My fire that had been burning brightly went out. I had thrown a log on it before retreating to my mosquito net. They should have burned for a couple of hours. The fire was gone. I then heard what sounded like a dog whining coming from the graves. As I listened, I thought that it also resembled the sound of a child crying. I quickly grabbed my flashlight, turned it on, and shined it towards the graves. However, the light did nothing more than reflect off my net, blinding me. As I was trying to see past my light's clear something, a rock perhaps, came whizzing in my direction from the side of the graves. Screw this, I said. I began getting dressed. I jumped out of the net and poured the rest of my water on the hot coals where the fire had been and began taking down my net. What took more than an hour to set up was taken down and packed in my sack in only five minutes. Just as I zipped the zipper on the small pocket, I put my final item, my camera, another object came flying in my direction from the graves. My fire now burst into brilliant flames. I put my backpack on, stomped out the fire, and began heading off the mountain, armed only with my flashlight. At one point, just a little bit down the trail, it felt as if an overhanging limb caught my backpack. I jerked hard, leaning forward and almost fell down. I looked back at my light and saw there was no limb or other obstruction there. The trail was completely clear. I made it home at 11 o'clock to the laughter of my mother who had left the front door unlocked. The next day I told my father and several friends about the experience. My father took my nephews hiking up there a couple of days later. When they returned my father told me they had found a seance ring in the woods below where I had camped. It was a flat rock circled with coins that had obviously been there quite a while. He knew what it was because he had found one a year ago on the mountain behind the Cranberry Wilderness Visitor Center. That particular ring had been lined with candy, feathers, and coins. He had reported to a local Forest Service employee who explained to him what it was. Evidently, they are common in these old West Virginia hills from where people go out from time to time and try to communicate with spirits. Thinking my father was trying to play a trick on me, I went back up the next day, leaving in time to be out of the woods before dark, and indeed found the ring myself. It was not a trick. It was obvious that the coins had been there for years. They were so weathered that I could only make out the date on one of them, the fifth coin. I attempted a penny dated 1985. To make this tale even creepier, the side of the ring is where it felt as if something had grabbed me from behind. I've mountain biked and hiked on top of Fork Mountain several times since this most recent event. I've listened to the owls at dusk, seen many deer and bear, but I've always made sure to get out of the woods before dark. I've fought terrorists in Iraq, jumped out of planes, and been to many places in third world countries where few white people go. However, I've never felt fear 
like I felt that night I attempted to camp by the unmarked graves.